Welcome and thank you for joining us at Christian International Ministries. Our vision is to help you hear God's voice to change your world. For more information about this and other resources, please visit www.christianinternational.com. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about what I'm going to call living on the gold standard. How many uh, know that for many years in the United States of America, our money was backed by gold bullion? And for many years, uh, there was a, a reality to what backed up our money. Now the Fed prints their money just as fast as they can. And we're not sure if they ever stop printing that money, exactly what will take place in our nation. There's a lot of uh, economic ramifications that we probably could talk about that's rather daunting or scary to, to look at and probably beyond our natural understanding because I don't know if anybody truly understands how all that works. But uh, I do know for many years, there was a reality to the, the value of our money, and it was based on what we called the gold standard. In other words, there was a, a real value that backed up our currency. Now, what I want to talk about today, of course, is not the United States of America and the ramifications of our economy not being based on the gold standard, but I do want to talk about uh, the gold standard that should be found in the church and in our individual lives. That God wants you and I, the best way that we're called to live is to live on the gold standard. <laughs> and so I'm going to talk a little bit about what that really means to you and I and what the word has to say about that. In other words, what is really backing up your life? What is backing up your words? Uh, we're a prophetic people and we love to speak the word of the Lord and we love to go out there and do the, the ministry that God has called us to. But in whatever realm or way that God has called you to operate, how many know there needs to be a reality of your faith that touches right where you live? That God's not just looking at how much you can do in some kind of powerful way, but he's also looking at how you live day to day. In fact, he said that you could go out and prophesy in his name. You could go out. You could literally raise the dead, heal the sick. You could do all kinds of wonderful things. But if at the end of the day he says, I don't know you, there's something that he's not happy with. In fact, uh, he says uh, that we're not even going to be able to be blessed or connected and have that reality of relationship bless our life unless... We have chosen into a certain way of living. The gold standard speaks of things that are really the key and foundational things, I believe, in Christianity. And when we get down to it, everything that we walk out as a Christian has something to do with relationship. And when you look at the reality of what God has to say in his word, he's always speaking to the reality of our faith. But the faith that we're to have is something that connects us, as we heard the word even through Pastor Greg this morning, about intimacy. In other words, it's all about covenant. And covenant all, is all about how we connect with someone else. Literally, how we connect to God and then out of that, how we connect to one another has everything to do with our eternity. How we properly walk out covenant has everything to do with how God can bless us or not. And how we live in integrity has everything to do with what will really back up our word, our prophecy, our declaration, our prayer, whatever it might be. The, the reality of how we are living day to day will put the value on what we are doing for him. So you can do a lot, but if you are not living it right, then you could lose out. I mean, Paul literally said for himself, uh, God forbid that I would save the whole world, but I would lose my own life. I would lose my own salvation, that I would get lost. 
and even trying to do ministry. I've seen people get caught up in trying to do ministry and do it all wrong. Their attitude began to stink. The way they treated people was awful. The way they began to relate in covenant and relationship was just totally wrong. And yet they said, I'm fulfilling the call of God. Well, I would give you a supposition that you cannot fill the, God, uh, the call of God that way. In fact, uh, I, we had a woman in this church many years ago that said to me, uh, I'm going to leave my husband. And he was a good man trying to do his best. He was having some hard times, but he was a, a good man doing his best for his family. And he says, I've got to leave my husband and divorce him to be able to fulfill the call of God in ministry. How many know that's an oxymoron? That's, you, can't, you can't do it that way. That's not what God was decreeing to her. That's not what he had to say. In fact, she's not doing anything in ministry. But yet she divorced her husband. So she used it as an excuse to get what she wanted because she thought that's what she had to have to be able to advance. And yet God says, I don't divorce myself from my principles in order to get my work done. The, the end does not justify the means. God's wanting us to operate rightly in every circumstance of our life and how you operate from day to day has everything to do with how God will back you up or not and how the, the, the backing of heaven will come to your aid. And so... Let's talk about the first of this living on the gold standard. How about something called the golden rule? You ever heard of the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do one to others before they can do one to you. No, that's not what it said. <laughs> How many know that's not what it says? What it says is do unto others the way you'd have them do unto you, right? In other words, treat everyone else the way that you would want to be treated. I'm telling you what, if you could just lay that foundation in your life, if you could just start there with how you relate to your wife, if you could start there with how you relate to your kids, if you could start there with how you relate on the job and just live that out from day to day and say, you know what, this is how I would want to be treated. Well, we can excuse ourselves because we got mistreated or somebody did us wrong, but that doesn't really excuse ourselves before God because God didn't say, if everybody does you right, then do them right. It's not the golden rule. The rule is you start it off. You initiate. You be the catalyst. You do what God asks you to do. What I always try to tell people is this, is that when you're going through a dark and a hard place and a trial, don't go to blame God, blame people, blame the government, blame somebody else. Always start with, God, what are you requiring of me in this circumstance? And if God is saying you need to shift your attitude and you need to stay in faith and you need to be a part of the covenant keeper and not the covenant breaker, then you need to somehow shift how you're operating so you can be blessed and obey what God has to say. It's easy to return evil for evil. It's not an easy thing to do good to those that do evil to you. That doesn't seem like it even makes any sense. But here we are living out of a, a kingdom of opposites. Look, it's not those who have the gold rule. That's what some people say the golden rule is. If you got enough money and power and prestige and political uh, uh, you know, strength behind you, well, then you can control your circumstance, control life, and everybody else. You're the one that's in charge because you've got billions of dollars. I'm telling you what, you can have billions of dollars and still get a disease and die. Just ask the owner of Apple, wherever he is. I, I hope he made it to heaven, but I don't know. You can have billions of dollars and still not control your family in a good way or what takes place around about you. 
It's not he who has the gold rules. That is the the golden rule in the earth where he who has the money is going to make the rules. But I'm telling you what, God's saying we don't live like that. We're in a kingdom of opposites. We're supposed to operate different than everybody else. And so I want to talk about some of the, the gold standard that the Lord has to give to every one of us. Listen to some of these things. Go to the next slide, if you will, Jonathan, that the Lord has to say to us. This is God's gold. Do not render evil for evil. Oh, that's easy, is it really? <laughs> I don't think so. Somebody comes and, and, and they insult you. you what are you going to do? You're going to insult them right back. Hey, you think you got something to say? I got something better. Let me put it back in your face. Turn the other cheek. Wait a minute. You slapped me on this side. Uh-uh. <laughs> My dukes are up now. We're going to fight. Turn the other cheek. That doesn't make no sense. What do you mean? That, what, what standard are you living on? What world are you living in? I remember talking to some Christians. And they said, oh, yeah, those are nice things in the Bible, but this is how it really works. I go, oh, interesting. Living on a different standard. Go the second mile. That means they ask you to go a first mile, and you're tuckered out, and you, you already did more than you probably thought you should. And now they're saying, will you go a little further for me? In fact, double up on what you did before. Wait a minute. Are you kidding Forget you, I already did that, <laughs> how dare you ask me to go more? Somebody said there's not much traffic on the second mile. When you get out of a traffic jam, just go the second mile. Do good to those who despitefully use you. So now we're getting a little meddling, right? Now we're talking about people that talk bad about you on Facebook. Now... We're talking about somebody who, who did you wrong and messed with your family. Somebody that took money from you. Oh, my goodness. We're talking, about, we're talking about stuff. Do good to somebody who took advantage of you. I tell you, everybody has a button. My wife's not here, so I can tell you her. No. Bless her in L.A. this morning. She's two hours behind, huh? Okay. Now, my wife gets a little upset when she feels like she's gone the second, third mile with somebody and really done them extra and tried to help them out, and then they kind of get mad because she hadn't done enough or she, she's done it wrong or, you know, wasn't good enough or whatever. And, you know, it's kind of like, wait a minute, I did all this, and now you're going to do that? And so, just for you to know, okay. So, anyhow, forewarned is forearmed. No, anyhow, uh, but, you know, you can get that way. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. What's the matter for you? I got the mafia. I got the family on my side. I'm going to take care of you. If somebody asks for your cloak, give them the shirt off your back. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. They shouldn't ask for that in the first place. They're asking for something, they're going to get it. I'll tell you. Love your enemies. Give to the poor and to the needy. Well, they deserve what they got. Doesn't really say anything about that. It says take care of those that are, in, are hurting in this life. In fact, you realize that when it comes to the end of the age and God says there's going to be sheep and goat nations, a lot of it has to do with how they treated those that were down and out. Live a life full of joy, peace, and love. Well, we're, we're living in hard times. That's, that's not easy to do when everything's seemingly going the wrong way, when people aren't doing it right, when the government's this or that, and everything is happening around the world. I mean, what do you mean? And God doesn't really say if everything's just peachy keen, then that's the way you live. No, he's saying in the midst of that, somehow you live on a different standard. 
Minister unto the least of these, your brethren, those in prison, those in jail, those that are broken, those that have made mistakes and now they're paying for it, those that are in the middle of a mess. Minister unto these, and I'm telling you, it's just like the Lord says, just like you're ministering to me, myself, just like as if you'd done it directly for me. What a standard. Vengeance is mine. Says the Lord, wait a minute, I got a way to repay. I can take care of you. Wait a minute, I got a scheme working right now. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You did me that way, wait and see. That's what natural man does. That's what we look for that opportunity. I'll repay you, wait. I got my time I'm waiting on. God says, wait, can you leave it to me? Whoa, God, you may not take care of it right. You better put it in my hands. I'll take care of this right now. You don't have to wait. God's standard for your life has everything to do. Yes, it deals with action. It deals with what you actually do. But it starts somewhere. It starts in your heart. And it's called something called an attitude. And when you really look at scripture and you look at so many different uh, views of different books and what uh, the Apostle Paul has to say and all the other writers of the New Testament, especially Jesus, you, you look at it and again and again you see it has something to do with how you position yourself in your mind and in your heart. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Whether you're going to have the right attitude and faith. Whether you're going to operate with forgiveness. Are you going to do it right in the midst of being done wrong? Everything is based really in this gold standard about relationship, uh, about uh, how our attitude is positioned, and how we treat one another. Well, Pastor Tom, can't we preach about something else? I mean, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. I don't like my wife when she does that. And I want to make her pay the rest of the day, maybe the month, maybe a year. I might be able to stay angry for years. Besides, I want to get her off my back, so I'm just going to put her in her place long enough that she'll cower back and never even say what she needs to say to me to help me to be right. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 13, we find this wonderful chapter that's placed there in, in the middle of this book to the church at Corinth, talking about uh, what they're going through and all the issues, and we know that they had a lot. They weren't always so righteous or so right. They lived a life, oh, I've been to Corinth there uh, in uh, Greece and all that area and, and Turkey and those areas, and and. Here it is, you know, uh, a, a very pagan city, a very a dark city. It's full of all kinds of uh, licentiousness and lustful living and, and just uh, approaches that are totally contrary to the gospel. And so he has to deal with a lot of issues in their life. But he also recognizes this church is very spiritual. They're very dynamic in the anointing. And so we find 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14. And so we have 12 and 14, if you've read those at all, you know 12 and 14, if we, if we preach it all about the prophetic and about the gifts of the Spirit, you've got to read out of those chapters because it says, man, we need to all be zealous to prophesy. We all are, have one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that we all are called to be a voice for the Lord and that God's given us gifts and that God's anointed us and is wanting us to manifest that anointing. And that's the reality. I mean, he says, man, I pray in tongues more than the rest of you and, and I'm, uh, you need to 
to be uh, coveting, to prophesy, and that you need to flow in the anointing. But he squeezes this crazy chapter 13 right between these two wonderful prophetic passages of 12 and 14. Why is that? That's the motivation in the midst of the inspiration. So let's just maybe look at this. Oh, well, it's not a wedding, Pastor Tom. Well, we'll read it anyhow. Okay, it's still in the Bible, right? 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I've got some money, but there's nothing backing it up. You can speak with tongues for 24 hours. You can speak with us in tongues for an hour over at staff every day. And, and man, you need to because it says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So I dare you to speak in tongues for that hour and get up mad at anybody because if you've really spoken in tongues and really prayed out of your spirit, I'm telling you, it'll change your mind and your heart and your attitude. It'll make you melt, if you will. But Scripture also has this to say that you can do all that, but if you don't really have love working in your life, then you're just like some clanging sound that's not really doing any good. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I mean, you're talking about a lot. Fathom every mystery and all bit of knowledge, and man, I can prophesy a house of fire. And if I have faith that can move mountains, woo, man, I got faith. And look, that guy got healed. That guy got resurrected. This happened yesterday. Wow, I got all the money I need. Hallelujah, it's coming. That's great. But if you do not have love, it's vanity. It's nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. In other words, I'm showing off how charitable and benevolent I am, but I don't really love anybody. I just want everybody to think that I am. If you operate even with that kind of approach, it doesn't gain you a thing. In other words, God's looking beyond what is happening and looking at what's going on inside of you at your heart. What's your motivation? Love has everything to do with your motivation. Why do you do what you do? Is it manipulation or is it motivated by love? Love has a value. Love, God's gold, is based like this. Love is patient. Turn to somebody and say, I'm sure glad he's not talking about me. All right, be careful. We'll get there eventually. Be patient. All right. Love is patient. Love is kind. Oh, tenderhearted, kind. You know, nice. We have a whole town up in Florida here called Niceville. You know, we got to live there, right? Live in Niceville. Not, don't move. But, I mean, you know, you should be nice all the time. What do you mean? He's always nice. What's, uh, what's that about? How about fulfilling scripture? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. In other words, when somebody else gets blessed, it's like, well, how come I didn't get that? Does not envy and it does not boast. Well, I did get blessed and you didn't. So, hey, hey, look at me. It's not proud. Well, we could probably preach about 12 sermons on that, right? It does not dishonor others. You're not looking to take somebody down a few notches. It's not self-seeking. In other words, it's not selfish. It's not easily angered. Well, you got on my last nerve and you're going to know it. Man, I'm so flash in the pan hot. You're angry. Nah, you got to work hard. 
Come on. Do people have to work hard to make you mad? Or is it like, man, here it comes. All right, well, we'll talk too much. All right. Uh, it keeps no record of wrongs. When we used to do uh, marriage counseling, LaRue, you know, one of the things they would talk about, they have the different categories of different people. One of them was called the scorekeeper. They could go back 10 years. They could go back 20 years. They could go back 30 years. They could go back 50 years. If they, I mean, and they knew the score. I remember when, and you never did, and uh, this is what happened, and boy, they never forget. What a way to live. Keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It, it always trusts. It always hopes. It, it perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away someday. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. In other words, you know what? We're prophetic. We're ministering in the anointing. We're believing for all kinds of things and working with what God has to say. That's what we're called to do. It does not diminish 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 14 for a 13 to be in the middle. But it is putting a motivation, a priority system in God's mind. He's saying, that's great. But I'm telling you what? If you don't have love in your heart, that will all disappear. And you'll get angry and mad and mess up and do all kinds of stupid and crazy things about some prophetic vision that you had and never understand God asks you to walk it out in love day to day. Careful. Careful what you shout to because it might have to live it, right? Well, everybody say amen. Amen. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but I'm telling you what, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but it's time to put away childish things, right? Stop living like that. I put away the childhood, and I put it behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. We don't have it all, we don't know it all, we can't figure it all out, but there is a baseline in every Christian's life. It's called are you living in love? That's the gold standard. Are you living in love? I don't care about every other prophetic and anointed thing that we do in this house and what we'll do in the nations of the earth. We do them on a regular basis and God moves in powerful ways. We see miracles, signs, and wonders. We hear the word of the Lord fulfilled. We hear powerful prophetic utterances. But the baseline has to be that which is the gold standard and that has everything to do with your attitude and your motivation, which has to be love. I love you, God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love your people. I'm not doing this for money or gold. I'm not doing this for other issues to try to be resolved to get esteem in my life. I'm saying, God, I'm receiving your heart, and I'm going to love out of your heart and minister to your people. Don't do it for filthy lucre. Don't do it for things that might motivate you, but say, God, I want to live a life honoring you by living out of love every single day of my life. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In other words, everything will be exposed. God will say what he needs to say. We will know the reality of how we've been operating. We may even try to hide from ourselves, but God will say, hey, 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 this is what I'm talking about. This is how you're operating, and that's wrong. The baseline, the gold standard. And now these three remain, faith, hope. And love. But what's the highest priority in God's mind? Are you going to operate in love or not? Remember Joseph Garlington when he was up here preaching one time at one of our conferences, a powerful man of God, just a wonderful order. 
And uh, he was talking about this situation he had with his wife where he got mad and she got mad and, and uh, both thought that they were so right and he went off and slept in the other guest room and he was pouting and praying all at the same time and saying, God, you need to straighten her out. You need to, to make her see it right. You need to help her change her heart. And on down the line and God finally stopped him and looked him in the eye and said, son, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? Well, it doesn't mean that we compromise and we just do things that are wrong to get along. But God says that sometimes we've got to let go of our pride in order to be reconciled. And so if we have to be right and put it in somebody's face, then we may never get where we want to go or where God's called us to go. Let me give you the golden attitude, what I feel is the golden attitude for a believer in Romans 8. Verse 28, this is, I was raised on this stuff. My dad preached this wherever we went for years when we were traveling in that station wagon going from church to church. I went to 48 uh, states of the United States. Uh, uh, well, no, I went to 45 states of the United States. I think we missed a few. Maybe it was uh, the Dakotas. Is Candace here? I think Can- it's good to have Candace in the house. This is Dean's daughter. and Josh is going to be coming down. He got their boys with him, the kids. And uh, just glad to have them, and so we're praying for Dean because they're living with him right now. So hallelujah. We, we know you joined the family. You know what it's like. Hallelujah. Uh, so anyhow, uh, my dad used to preach this for years. Verse 28, what does it say? And we know. You've got to know some things. In other words, there's a foundation in your life. What's the foundation? Well, we know it's the Word of God, but what does the Word of God have to say to us? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you really know that, or do you only believe it when everything's feeling good? To those that are called according to His purpose, to those whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. So, for those that love God, and those that are called according to His purpose, He says, everything I've got a plan for. It may not look so good right now, you may not like it at the moment, but I want you to know, if you stay in love with me, in that right relationship, and you know that I've called you for a purpose, then I'm going to cause these things that seem contrary, that seem totally opposite of what you want, the things that you don't like, and they even seem like they're from the hand of the devil, but I'm telling you, I can turn that which is meant for evil for your good. If you'll stay in the right heart and attitude, I can shift every circumstance. And that which is meant for evil can actually bless you. And the Lord says, I have predestined you for a purpose. And that is that you might be conformed to the image of my son. In other words, God has had a plan for man from the beginning. And that is that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, he would be a son of glory, but he would have many sons of glory. In other words, many people that would represent God in the earth. And so Jesus was our shining example. And so we look to him and we say, Lord, how do I rightly follow you? I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to look like you and act like you. He said, this is what I have predetermined for your life, is that you would be conformed to my image from glory to glory sometimes. Sometimes it's through hardship and difficulty. But in the midst of it, God always has a plan. He's going to work it for our good. For what purpose? That we will look and act more like him. That's God's heart. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for our life. That's the highest calling that you could ever have. That's the gold standard of a Christian is when we look at him and we say, God, I want to be like you. And the more we desire that, no matter what it takes, we say, God, I'm going to divest myself of whatever I need to and I'm going to invest myself fully like that pearl of great price. I'm going to take whatever it takes to buy that field because, God, I'm saying I need that. I want that so much that I'm willing to pay any price. 
When we're a disciple like that, when we forsake all and follow him, then we're in a whole other category. The gold standard begins to arise because we know that God's leading us. He's going to cause everything along the way to work, to bless us, to help us, to be more like him, to fulfill that ministry. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. In other words, God's been taking you systematically. He called you, and then he set you free from your sin and justified you and made you right before him in his sight. And then he began to release a, a glorifying effect, which means that you begin to reflect the Lord in how you live. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, then what? This is the attitude. If I'm living a life that I'm called and I love God, then everything is a work for my good and there's really nothing that can be against me. If God's for me, then all these things are actually working for me. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us everything we need? If he gave us Jesus and he died on the cross for our sin, then if he didn't hold back then, he's surely not going to hold back now. He will freely give us the things that we have need of. That's the attitude of an overcoming believer, of a gold standard, if you will, believer. Who is he who condemns? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who will condemn you it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us praise God that you're not on your own Jesus is up there saying I'm going to pray for uh, LaRue today I'm going to pray for Greg today I'm going to bless Florence today I'm going to pray for them to to be encouraged even when Peter was going through what he did he said I have prayed for you that you would not fade away that you would come through this trial and be okay and God's saying that he has something in mind for every one of us and that he He's going to help all these things to work together when we keep the right attitude. The gold standard arises in our life. Who is he that condemns? Well, Christ has forgiven you. He loves you. You're not going to live under condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or any of these things? He said, no, look, every day we're killed. Every day we're persecuted. Every day we're led like sheep to the slaughter. So these are not people talking about just easy street time. They had to quote a scripture from the Old Testament to say, we know what we're really going through every single day. But I'm telling you, there's nothing on this list that will keep me from experiencing the love of God. Because I'm in relationship with him and I'm going to be conformed to his image. That even these things will work together for me. And so I'm going to live with this kind of attitude. There's the gold standard for a Christian. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, or angels, or principalities, or powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nothing in my past, nothing in my future, nor height, or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, when you can recognize how much God loves you. When you can recognize that he's already got a plan for your life and that he's going to take care of you every step that you take, all you got to do is know that you're called according to his purpose and stay in alignment with that purpose and continue to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God says, I know how to take care of my own. Nothing 
can separate. In fact, lift up your hands right now to the Lord. Just close your eyes. Father, I pray that you will reveal yourself to every person here today, that they will recognize that, Lord, who you are and who you want to be for them is filled with a heart of compassion and great love for them. You love them so much, and there's nothing that can take them out of your hand. You will not leave them. You will not forsake them. Lord, you've already paid the highest price for them. You love them with an everlasting love, with an unconditional love. Father, you're embracing them right now and causing them to be brought close to your side. Lord, we break every spirit of condemnation and shame where the enemy has played a game on our mind. We know there are times we don't do it right. We know there are times we need to be cleansed and set free. But Lord, all we got to do is run to Daddy and say, Lord, Daddy, forgive me. Help me. And you're going to embrace us with your love. Father, I speak the reality of that to every one of our hearts, that we will not live a life of shame or pain, but we'll live a life of purpose and love in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. See, what God wants for you and I in the gold standard is the spirit called excellence. Turn to somebody and say, you look excellent today. Daniel was said to have a spirit of excellence upon him. Uh, Scripture describes David as a man after God's own heart, and it says that he prospered and he excelled. And yet we know uh, these people didn't have things just given to them on a silver plate. We know that Joseph had to deal with a few issues in his life. We know Esther was brought into the position that she was as a slave. These people were once had gone through the kind of traumatic situations that you and I would not ever wish on anybody that we love. Rejected, abandoned, abused, used, taken into captivity, hardship upon hardship. Living a life of bondage, not something that we would want to experience ourselves or see anybody else. And yet that was the reality of their plight. And yet every one of these are described to have an excellent heart or spirit after God. And, and the reason why, I know David was a warrior and he was a worshiper and, and, and he knew how to be a king with regal robes. And yet there was something that about him that I believe that, that is even greater than what we see in those aspects. Because it talks about the key of David. And the key of David is that God says, I can open what no man can open and I can shut what no man can shut. In other words, I will cause all things to work together for you, your good. In other words, David understood something beyond all these other promises and prophetic words that he received as a young man is that he had to do it right in every circumstance. He had to choose into a right attitude even when he was being done wrong. He had to honor uh, authority. He had to honor God's structure, God's plan and approach even though he had made a mistake. He had to go and repent and get into humility. He had to continually seek the face of God for every strategy that he did in warfare. It, it was all about understanding the ways of God. Sometimes things take longer. Sometimes they have detours. Sometimes you think the word is going to come forth because you killed Goliath and the promise was that you're going to marry the king's daughter and then bam, you're going to be in the palace and I can just see this word coming to pass and then there's a javelin thrown your way and there's people that are abusing you and talking bad about you and accusing you and, and chasing you out of town and, and you're feeling bankrupt and you feel like nothing is working and that all you're around is people that are in debt and distress and despair and well God, how did I end up here? What did I do wrong? And, and it was nothing to do with what David did wrong. It was about God's call 
call upon his life. Why did Joseph get thrown into that pit? I mean, yeah, he bragged a little bit about uh, the dream, but wouldn't you? I mean, gosh, look at that dream. It was awesome. It was amazing. But look where God took him through all these things in the prison and the pit and, and betrayal and false accusation and all this stuff. How, how could he end up there after he had been given such great uh, promises from God? And yet these processes, uh, somehow it says that the word of the Lord tried Joseph. In other words, he received a prophetic word. He received a dream. But boy, was it hard in between. Because from here to there was a long time. And from here to there was a long process. And it felt like he was nothing but going down, down, down. And the moment he got his head up, he got slapped back down again. And how easy it would have been to just get mad and get up, give up and, and take it out on God and everybody else. I've seen preachers do that. I've seen Christians do that. But the gold standard that these men and women exhibited, all of them being brought into positions that they did not plan, they did not want, they didn't ask for. And yet the call of God was on their life to affect the nation in Persia, affect the nation in Babylon, to affect the nation in Egypt, to affect the people of God. God's heart and plan was upon Moses, all these people. And yet they went through some things, folks. And in the middle of that, somehow they had to keep their heads straight. Somehow they had to keep their heart right. Somehow they had to stay on a rightful path and continue to seek the face of God. And God says, at the end of the day, you're going to say, look what the Lord has done because you stayed in the right position." Spirit of excellence. Well, where, where does that come out? It comes out when you're dealing with the issues of your heart. Because when you're talking about motivation, that means that God's dealing with something that's right here. And when you talk about betrayal, when you talk about living in lack, when, when you're talking about delay and persecutions and people, false accusations of them, adversity, uh, things that are going wrong, uh, the battles that you have to wage from day to day, those are not trivial issues. I'm not diminishing one iota the reality of some of the things that you and I have to face and how hard that is. And I've seen people in this church travail through a lot of stuff and deal with a lot of things over the years. I'm not going to recount them. They're just amazing testimonies of grace, though. I will say, you know, Carrie Hoffman, that I was just reminded again about her. She's living with scleroderma. Her hands are just... And her feet and her body is shriveling. And I don't know, she lives 20 years beyond what the doctors say she can. And all that time ministering, giving, 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 giving. Doing what she can. Getting up, walking, doing, taking care of people. Going places when you say that. I don't even, how do you do that? I really don't know how she could even get dressed, let alone anything else. I've seen people go through difficulty. Been through a few days myself when I wanted to cry and with heart. But the gold standard that we're supposed to live on that backs up our life. The, you know, I, 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 I wrote on the Facebook a, a few months ago where, you know, I don't really want to be led by somebody that doesn't have any scars. I don't want to be led by somebody just uh, their heads in the pie in the sky and everything just goes perfect for them all the time. I'm going, whoa, whoa. I don't know what world you're living in, but, you know, uh, my life has been a little different now. I mean, I had a few things, you know. I remember one time being at this big church, and I remember them saying, we never have any problems our, with our life groups. And they had, they had 150 or 200 life groups. I don't know, maybe more than that. Giant church. I won't tell you the church because you know immediately what ended up taking place in that church. But I said, that's insane. I got 20 and I don't, 
you know, my goodness, there's something every day. I feel like you got to deal with something, you know. No, I'd rather be around somebody that's got some proof of being through some things. And surely the Lord would be put in that category. Esther was taken as a slave, and yet the Lord says, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What do you mean? You're going to put your life on the line. Let's see what happens. That's what it meant. Well, if I perish, I perish. Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You want to follow Daniel? You think he's so great? Well, let's see how good you are when the heat's put on seven times hotter. This is what they say they're going to do to you. This is what's going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of threatening. There's a lot of, there's a lot of intimidation going on. What, what's going to happen? Are you going to melt? Are you going to fade? Are you going to rise? The gold standard has everything to do with what happens to you in the trial. Do you rise up or do you quit? 1 Peter 1.6 says it this way. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had uh, to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful promise and that word to me today. You've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Thank you, Lord. But what are you doing? In this you, uh, head scratcher, greatly rejoice. What? Don't you, are you living in denial? Do you have any real idea what's happening? Do you understand what you're going through? This is called grief. This is called trials. This is called tough stuff. And you're what? Well, I just decided to greatly rejoice because, you know, Scripture says rejoice in all things. And again, I say, I said, I said it and I say it again. Rejoice. For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. doesn't mean you don't cry. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not real. It means you supersede. When you have a law of nature, you supersede that law. It's called supernatural. In other words, something natural says this is how it is, and this is the law of gravity. But when Jesus ascended, he superseded the law of gravity. Supernatural means that there's a natural way of doing it, and then there's a, a, a way that God says to do it, and it's His grace that brings you there. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, I think the King James says, more precious than gold, that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. In other words, God's going to find out what you're made of may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, God's saying you're going through a test and what I'm trying to find out, what's real in your life? That's what I'm saying. I counsel with some Christians, you know, in the past and, oh, but that's great, Pastor, but this is how the world really works. God's saying, well, what do you really believe in? What do you believe is real life? What's your normal life? Is it a normal Christian life or is it a mere man kind of life? You're going to live the way the world says to live. Have you raised the standard of the gold standard to back up your life or are you living off what man can make? The Fed's pumping out some money for you and you've got an inflated view of yourself, but watch out. Galatians says it this way, if you see somebody that's fallen, seek to restore them and do it in the spirit of humility that whatever it takes uh, that you can do, help them to achieve restoration in their life. 
how easy it is to be the Pharisee that gets our long nose and our finger pointed down at God. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And so hard for us sometimes to just bow our face and say, God, but I want to have grace. And I want to I be careful that I don't fall in that same place. I can accuse and say how bad that is, but what if I'm doing the same thing behind the scene? What if I'm allowing the same attitudes to grow in my own heart? What if I'm not living by the gold standard the way I accuse everybody else that they ought to? Love, forgiveness, unconditional, something we have to do. Yes, trust is earned, and that's where if you really forgive, then you give somebody credit for the good things that they do, and you let that accrue, and then you can cause them to be restored. But if you don't forgive, they're in a black hole that they'll never get out of. But if you uh, love and forgive as you are called to do, in fact, required to do, then somebody can gain trust. They can become trustworthy again. That's restoration. We want that with God. We want him to trust us again with things. And when we've blown it, but here God forgives us everything. And then he says, you're going to go take somebody out that you're friends with and going to treat them like that. It said the master was not pleased. Heart of restoration. Talk about being full of mercy. Talks about... Uh, having that peace and that, that peacemaker anointing upon your life that you seek to be at peace with all men. And I want to finish up here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It tar- starts off talking about these couple of folks that decided to rebel against Moses. Now, Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. You can resist the truth. How many know that? See, some people want to believe a lie. And when you want to believe a lie, you've got to be very careful. Because you can end up somewhere that Scripture describes as being reprobate. And reprobate means you choose into a lie and you'll never believe the truth because you want the lie too much. And now you're living in a deception that's really deep. But it says these two were like that and those that were... Uh, opposing Paul at that time were also of the same mind. And so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was, talking about Janus and Jambers. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Listen to what Apostle Paul said. Now, you see the fruit of these men's life. You see where they're leading you and what's going to take place. But this is what I want to say to you. You know something about me. He says, I'm speaking to you, uh, Timothy, and to all those that you are imparting to. Listen, you know my doctrine. So is doctrine important? Of course. If you're teaching something that's untrue, you're going to lead people astray. You know my manner of life. So it's not just getting the right doctrine, but you've got to live it out. I mean, I know people that know the truth, but they spit it out with such venomous, vile approach that they kill anything and everything that gets in their view. They try to witness that way. I'm going to hammer you to death. I'm going to tell you how bad you are and how wicked. Well, there's a truth to that, but if you don't do it in love, then you're messed up. And you're not representing the heart of God. You fully know my doctrine, but you also know my way of life. You also know my purpose and my faith and my long suffering. 
Those are the scars, you know, when they had to be patient when they didn't want to. When they went through some, well, my prayers just get answered immediately every time. Well, praise God for you. But, you know, there's a few of us that seemingly some things have to be suffered through for a season of time. And we have to have a grace called patience and long suffering to come. And I like to be around people that understand how to receive that grace and walk in it. Charity, patience persecutions. What do, you, what do you know about me? Hey, I've been through some things, some afflictions, which came into me at Antioch and Iconium. And at Lystra, I could, I could give you the testimonies, he said. Let me testify about what happened to me, what persecutions I endured. But out of them, the Lord has delivered me out of every one of them. In other words, it may not be that he didn't get delivered without some stripes on his back or got delivered without being in a dungeon for a while or got delivered without being beaten, but it meant that through the, the process at the end, he was a delivered man. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer some things going through. In fact, Scripture actually says, those that suffer with me will reign with me. So if you don't know how to suffer with the Lord, I don't know how he's going to put you in a position of authority. Shout me down again. All right, here we go. Yea, and all that will live godly. How many want to live godly? Tricked you. All right. All right. But all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, I thought I was going to live godly and everything's going to be perfect for me, Pastor. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse. And worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, I think we may be living in that day. But you, continue thou in the things which you have learned and you have been assured of. Knowing of whom you have learned them. In other words, I'm living an example for you. And the example is not that everything is perfect in my life. But that I know how to make it through. And know that all things work together for my good. And stay the course in love. And keep causing not only the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit to be made manifest in my life. And by proving that, you should know this is the truth and these other things are a lie. So it says, go for the goal. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved. How do you present yourself as one that is approved? You do your best. And you know when you're doing your best or when you're not. People live in regret when they don't do their best and they wonder why they didn't get what they want. They didn't achieve the dream. Do your best and let God do the rest. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. In other words, you don't twist scriptures to get what you want, but you say, God, what do you want? And I'm bowing my knee to your principles. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Careful, don't get on Facebook and Twitter and everything else and go too far. Their teachings are spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have also departed from the truth that they say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. There's preterism and other things I won't go into right now. Bishop's mentioned it a few times where people saying, uh, everything's already happened. There's no resurrection to come. It's just, uh, there is no truth to what Revelation speaks about and other things in the future. We're just living in the age until we die and continue on forever and ever. It says, no, don't listen to that junk. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must Turn away from wickedness. 
That's your part. For in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, you get rid of those base things, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, prepared for the master's use, ready for every good work. So in every house, there are vessels. Some are common. Some are for special use. Those that are gold and silver are for special use. 